Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cornwall Insights' latest podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the UK government's latest climate targets and about whether the current energy market design is adequate to reach those targets. So my name is Dan Atsori, research partner at Cornwall Insight, and I am delighted to be here today with Tom Edwards, a senior moderator in our modeling team and author of our paper, The Net Zero Paradox, published last year. Hi, Tom. Hi, everybody. Of course, Tom, on uh, 20, on the 20th of April, the government has announced what they described as the world's most ambitious climate change target. They plan to reduce emissions by 78% by 2035 compared to 1990 levels following the recommendation from the Climate Change Committee. Um, according to the government in particular, the sixth carbon budget limits the volume of greenhouse gases emitted over a five-year period from 2033 to 2037, taking the UK more than three quarters of the way to reaching net zero by 2050. What is more, for the first time, this carbon budget will incorporate the UK's share of international aviation and shipping emissions. So all of this, of course, is uh, big news for the industry and also arguably shows the government's commitment to lead on emission reductions ahead of COP26, which will take place in Glasgow in November. Uh, Tom, uh, were you expecting such an announcement and what was your first reaction? Uh, I mean, ultimately, yes, because the, um, the Climate Change Act requires it. Uh, so, but I kind of guess um, my reaction was, you know, this is the kind of leadership we want to see ahead of COP26, uh, it's no surprise that GB is trumpeting its credentials, um, given that we've done reasonably well in the last couple of carbon budgets and, you know, closing most of the coal-fired power stations, reducing our emissions. And it, it's ultimately part of the, you know, the government's ambition to level up, however that works, and um, ha have some sort of industrial strategy. You know, we've had the white paper that was then after this, the industrial strategy on um, uh, carbon capture clusters. Uh, but I guess with these things, you know, announcements and targets, I find it's always important to say, good, well done. Uh, but now what? How do we actually deliver that? Great. Let's ha let's have some of the meat on the bones for, for policy. Let's get the, the plan in. How do we get there? What are the policies? How much are you paying? Yeah, exactly. Because of course, I mean, it's 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 great news. Uh, I think in light of decarbonisation, uh, it is kind of it is ambitious. We're talking about ambitious targets. So, are they achievable, and how? And in particular, what challenges do you foresee in decarbonising, uh, let's say, mobility and heat at the pace required to actually achieve those targets? So I think uh, there was important to note that they actually published some modelling behind these targets. So um, Bayes used the Times whole energy system model and the dynamic dispatch model for electricity um, to, to model the, this decision. And, the, and they looked at, you know, what the costs, benefits, are they technically achievable? Um, so there's some important caveats, I think, if you after having read uh, that document over a whole bunch of technologies. And I think um, 
I mean, I've got a, I've got a list of things that I noted here, so I'm, I'm just going to go through them. Um, like hydrogen costs. Hydrogen is a big part of this plan. So the questions come down to, you know, is it produced? Uh, I think the, it's blue with carbon capture and storage, or are we going to go via electrolysis? Uh, that's quite a big uh, question mark. I think uh, they come down on the side of most of this would be, um, you know, fossil derived, made from methane and steam reformation, and you'd capture the um, the carbon afterwards. Uh, but I think they're talking about needing 250 to 460 terawatt hours of hydrogen. Um, and I think they said that in the case where CCUS is uh, late in being deployed, then you're going to have to mostly rely on electrolysis. And given how inefficient hydrogen production is, that's going to be a lot of wind farms that you need to produce that power. So I think there's there's a big caveat here on the role of hydrogen. It's mostly doing things in the, um, in their modelling around replacing fossil fuels in industry, so high high temperature heat processes, uh, ammonia production, um, liquid kind of chemical work, as well as long distance transportation, uh, and then it's also doing some long term energy storage. Um, for the energy system, for the electricity system in particular, and it's being less used for heat, although it is some is assumed to be used in in heating processes for uh, space heating processes. Um, but it, its primary role is is the industrial sector. So I think there's a big question mark over hydrogen. Can we achieve it? It's also massively reliant on CCUS, and there are big impacts that they know if. Uh, CCUS is delayed because that means that you have to move towards a higher share of electrification in the economy via renewables. So you then need to back those renewables up. You need to store the power um, and some processes have to be electrified rather than hydrogenized. Um, so there's there's that is a big caveat is CCUS hasn't uh, even though technically everyone says we've got technology to do it. No one has commercially demonstrated it at this point. And I think that's where key around the things like the hydrogen strategies, getting the hubs right, um, getting industry involved, not just be so not just the electric, the electricity industry, but also the wider, you know, industrial sector so that we can capture the emissions that come from steel production or glass production or chemical production. Um, get those in hub clusters and see if we can actually capture those emissions and and um, sequester them. And prove that prove that it can be done commercially because uh, I think it's been technically demonstrated. Um, but even I think even the one in Canada that was working was just using the CO two to pump more oil out, um, and it's it's closed now anyway. Uh, that then brings me on to things like biomass because they do note that the model may be overly reliant on biomass energy, carbon capture, and storage thinking that they could be producing something like 235 terawatt hours from it uh, of biomass energy might be needed with 90 million tons of co2 annually being removed so if there is if there isn't enough sustainable biomass to meet that level we'll have to find another another way of doing it it's also worth noting that um grids fez the future energy scenarios is also pretty reliant on biomass energy carbon capture storage so if our assumptions about biomass are wrong uh, that's that's a big caveat to meeting these targets. Um, but ultimately, by 2035, they reckon that 
uh, 95% to 99% of electricity generation will be low carbon, uh, with 65 to 75% coming from variable renewables. Now, that is uh, a, a, fair, a fair way from where we are today with, what, 50% of energy coming from variable renewables or low carbon sources, because um, it's always the last, you know, we've done the low hanging fruit. It's always the last bit that's going to be harder to do. Um, and bearing in mind that they expect that by 2035, electricity demand will go up by 200 terawatt hours. Um, electricity demand is about 290 to 300 terawatt hours. So we're talking about two thirds increase in electricity demand on top of what we already have to meet to, to get to that 65, 75%. So what, what, does that, what does that mean for the electricity market? Well, it means that Basically, unabated gas is going to be mostly gone, possibly entirely gone from the electricity system by 2035. If a gas-fired power station that's currently competing in the capacity market or um, plans to build in planning doesn't have a sort of plan for what it might do. So let's say that you know, you're thinking about building it now. Uh, it'll take you, well, you've got, if you want a capacity market agreement for the next in the next auction, that's a four-year time horizon by which you've got to be built. So we're already talking about the middle of the decade. So 10 years later, you've got to be off the system. So whatever you're planning now has to factor into the into the um, into its design that it either has to abate the emissions somehow, switch fuel, or close by 2035. Um, so that's that's a pretty big change for the, for the electricity system, especially and and projects need to be thinking about that now, even existing projects so um by 2035 we're probably thinking about closing or refurbishing things like west burton b pembroke staythorpe c the newer generation of ccgts what are their long-term plans do they abate are they near where the future industrial clusters might be for ccus and then on top of that that's going to be an enormous build-out, especially if onshore and offshore renewables. We need to rapidly grapple with the issues of transmission and market design. Uh, we're, we've already got pushback from local communities about how many transmission lines are going to be landed on the coast of England. Could we properly design an offshore network um, so that we can lower the cost to consumers and the impact on the built and natural environment from that? And ultimately, the more renewables you build, because they have a lower marginal cost, the the lower the, the clearing wholesale price will be, which makes investment in renewables less certain. And can we actually get to the level of renewables required? So there's a huge cost implication as well. The impact assessment estimates that the impact on bills in, on uh, 2020 levels would be an increase of between £6 a megawatt hour and £17 a megawatt hour annually. So multiply that by three for the roughly average um electricity consumption in a household although uh, some businesses which would if they can abate their emissions or if they they might be supported by some form of policy may actually see their bills fall under the um the pathway but the total investment is expected to be something like 651 billion pounds um so that's a huge opportunity then to build new stuff it's also worth noting that the you know the benefit of reduced carbon emissions reduced pollution would be about 918 billion pounds um, so th there's a there's a fair whack of money that we have to spend and allocate to bring people with us. Um, Bayes noted that they don't necessarily agree with some of the things that the CCC assumed. 
So, for example, they don't include some of the, the behavioral changes, such as dietary change. Uh, so they're not assuming any sort of reduction in meat consumption. So that actually adds to the difficulty of, of the other technical side, because you've got to find emissions reductions from places that might be harder to, well, depending on uh, whether or not it's easy or not to to reduce your meat consumption. Um, it, you, you might have to find emissions from other technical sources rather than behavioral change. So there's there's huge caveats, but overall, I think it's it is technically possible. Maybe we've got to, you know, noting the over reliance on biomass energy. There's some unproven technologies like CCUS, DAX, but I think, uh, you know, we've we've proven that we can electrify the electricity industry to a, a much higher extent. Grid believes it's technically possible to get to 100% renewable penetration possibly by 2025 that they may be able to manage that kind of system the challenge then is actually building and deploying all of this stuff that we're going to need to get to this world which i don't think necessarily um we have a clear pathway yet thanks tom of course you spoke of an enormous build out huge investment needed uh, not to mention all of these uh, behaviors that need to change so um, there seems to be still a number of important variables that need to be uh, properly factored in before uh, decarbonization outcomes can be achieved. So looking uh, in particular at market design, as mentioned last year, you published the net zero paradox paper, which had quite an impact. And in this paper, you have been sharing your thoughts about the shortcomings of the current market design and also potentially the features of a new market design. So can you highlight the main reasons why, in your opinion, the market design is not anymore fit for purpose, especially, I would say, in the light of the new targets? Yeah, I think it's partly an old problem, the the idea of missing money or missing markets. But the, the core of the idea is that um, because there's these new technologies that rely mostly on upfront, upfront capital investment and they don't have much ongoing costs, there's a very low or zero marginal cost for producing an additional megawatt at a wind farm or a solar farm. So when they dispatch under the current market design, because of competition, um, you the price of power defaults to the um, kind of the marginal cost of the last power station needed to keep the lights on. So if that's a wind farm or a solar farm, it's zero. The, they start to then cannibalize their own price. You start to bring the price down because you're running more efficient power stations or power stations with very low marginal costs. So as a developer of a wind farm, if I see that the wholesale price going forward is 50 pounds, but actually the price when I when my power station would actually be running is being set by more efficient power stations or low marginal cost power stations, I'm not earning 50 pounds anymore. I might be earning zero pounds per megawatt hour. Um, you also then have policy costs. So for example, a renewables obligation power station wants to, if it doesn't run, it's missing out on the additional 48 pound a megawatt hour that it would be getting. So it actually bids in negative to the wholesale market because it wants to run. So you end up in this kind of collapsing power price world, price cannibalization, it's called. Um, that makes it harder to make a decision about investing in, in a new build power station. It's more difficult to forecast that capture price going forward. What are the effects of things like storage, changing demand, hydrogen, all of that sort of stuff? How do I recover my money? Your investment decision becomes riskier, more complicated. So 
you don't want to invest, but we need to invest. So we have to intervene into the market as say the government. That's where things like the CFD come in, which insulate you to some extent, uh, to, to a large extent from the wholesale power price. And that power station then is built, but it still has that effect on the market design. Um, so when it's when it's exporting, it exports at a low price, which just feeds through again, background in a circle, because the next person still has a difficulty in making that investment decision. If we stick with the, the system that we've got, we are going to be entirely dependent on that cycle where in uncertain investment decision gets supported by policy intervention, which is then, uh, you know, we have a CFD auction that gets built. We, we get stuck in that um, situation where the wholesale market price may not no longer be fit for purpose and holistically it's not ideal there's all sorts of signals going on that might be contradictory or are out of lag and ultimately probably not fit for you know delivering at the kind of scale that we need to to meet these targets uh and i mean we're not the only people saying it yeah exactly and i mean there are Clearly, there are quite a few challenges, especially in terms of sending the right investment signals to the market. And of course, uh, the discussion around market design is now in full swing. So we could, for example, mention uh, the recent paper by Energy Systems Catapult on rethinking electricity markets, where they make the case for comprehensive electricity reforms or for EMR 2.0, as they call it. As we know, the electricity market reform, EMR, was introduced with the Energy Act 2013, and it brought in a number of very important mechanisms, such as the capacity market, which ensures affordability, security of electricity supply, and uh, the contracts for difference, so ensuring the long-term stabilization of revenues for low-carbon generation. But today, a number of key stakeholders in the energy transition are really raising the issue of whether the governance status quo is adequate for the challenge that we have in front of us. So um, I would say that there appears to be a growing consensus on the fact that reforms are needed, but a different number of solutions are being proposed. Uh, Tom, do you think we need reform or revolution? And what could be the key features of the new market design? So, yeah, th this is quite the, um, I guess, the hot topic among energy market design geeks is, uh, you know, how far do we go? <clears throat> there's, as I as I was talking about before, there's kind of like the idea that um, investment is the thing that's needed as quickly as possible. And therefore, we should create mechanisms that provide the clearest signal to investors, help lower the cost of capital, and therefore deliver these new technologies at the cheapest possible cost for consumers. That's been clearly very successful in the CFD by helping to drive down uh, the cost of competition. But the, the downside is, is that you end up with a highly centralized market where signals are mostly reliant on that central body, creating competitive auctions and things like that. So you, um, you might not get the right signals all the time. And uh, unless well-designed, it might not be holistic, so you might be getting the wrong signals for things like demand-side response or security supply. Is there then a way to bring all of that together into one mechanism or grouped mechanisms? And that's the kind of more revolutionary side. Do you want to have, you know, move away from long-term investment signals? Could you have obligation payments? Uh, could you open up more markets, like a more markets-based approach where consumers have to it's, you know, it's an obligation on consumers or or we just go back to an energy only market kind of design with more cost reflective signals 
Uh, could you go and have you know, locational pricing signals from network charges are included somehow in the uh, the wholesale price design? So you end up with like zonal or nodal pricing. So actually based on where your power station is exporting onto the network, you get a different price compared to somebody uh, in a different part of the network. So there's this kind of spectrum, I guess, of being very merchant based with you know a lot of risk on the generators to being very kind of firm revenue based with a lot of the risk on the consumers so i guess we could probably think about what are the outcomes that we need that's probably the best place to start you know we need lots of new investment and we want it to be at the lowest possible cost um, and we want to send the right signals to use the equipment we've got in the right way without you know, with minimal investment in new stuff. So we want to send the right kinds of signals. Those, are, I guess, would be the key features of, of a new market that I'd like to see is to make sure, you know, we've got the lowest possible investment cost and we've got the right kinds of signals. So I think one of the things that we thought scored quite well on that was like a, a revenue floor guarantee kind of thing where you make sure that there's, you know, there's a fixed investment cost up front for investing in these things. They don't have a lot of costs in kind of operation. And I think the key success in my view of the CFD, it has been in driving down costs, which is partly due to making these contracts investable. And uh, given the scale of the challenge, I'd say that that, that would be one of the, the key objectives rather than um, moving to having more market-based approach with, say, individual suppliers contracting. That That's probably my personal view. Um, I think you could actually combine elements of both of them. So you could have more locational prices, better signals combined with some form of um, kind of investment revenue stabilization contract. That's why I generally come down on that side of the challenge, just uh, on the on the design, because the scale of the challenge is so large. Yeah, exactly. Large indeed. And um, yeah, really, my last question is around a quite, quite a big topic. Uh, so the role of the market and the role of the state in all of these because as, as you'll remember, in, in the last uh, session, last month's session of our finals in the Zero Forum, we have been uh, pondering uh, collectively together on whether the energy market could optimally self-regulate or whether, to a certain extent, the state needs to regulate the market. Of course, no small feat at all. There is a common perception that the government needs to intervene at least in case of market failures. But there is a wide range of solutions proposed and they differ in terms of which interventions in particular could lead to uh, outcomes that are both optimal, efficient, and also, on the other hand, what which interventions could end up stifling uh, market forces and innovation in general. So it's a kind of a delicate balance between the two. Some key stakeholders in the market, as we know, are advocating for the creation of a sort of national energy agency or uh, called uh, other, by others an energy system architect just to achieve a sort of better uh, coordination of energy policy. But others are less at ease, I would say, with the creation of new layers of governance, arguing that maybe that should be the role of the government rather than new institutions. So where do you stand in this debate? I, I think you pretty neatly summed it up there. It, it is, I do, in my personal opinion, the scale of the challenge is very, very large. 
um, current the current market design, there's market failures. We probably I don't believe we'll achieve um, what we need to achieve with the current market design. So someone's got to step in and do something. If the energy architect or the national energy agency um, has the powers and that we don't we're not just double layering then that's fine and I'd, i'm happy for it to be that so if for example beige decide to cut out the energy part and put it into the energy architect um and off gem gives up parts of its regulatory powers to the energy architect and national grid you know puts its planning part in there as well um and maybe some of the dnos then that could work but yeah, I, I think creating additional layers doesn't help. We could do all of that stuff now. We would just need more coordination. We have the powers. We just need transparent and open governance with clear goals and plans. Um, who does it? It's not partic- doesn't particularly bother me as long as it's done. So if if in order to get that we need a new agency, then that's fine. But we could probably also do it with more leadership from the top. For example, base taking on more of that of, of that role um, and coordinating better with Offgem, which I guess we've kind of seen with things like the joint um, flexibility stuff from Offgem and Bayes. Uh, and, they're talk- and they've done a joint thing on code governance review, but Offgem's kind of the one leading on things like uh, independent system operators and DSOs. So there's, again, some things are joined up, some things aren't. Um, if a national energy agency can join them up more uh, without creating confusing layers, then I'm for it. But if it just ends up being another layer and we don't end up with more transparency and openness, then I'm against it. Yeah, exactly. The challenge is definitely about achieving uh, a fine balance uh, between different needs in order to achieve uh, those outcomes. Um, So brilliant, Tom. Uh, I think it is now time to wrap up. Thanks a lot for sharing uh, your insights uh, with me, with us today. And it was really great talking with you. And thanks a lot, everybody, for listening. If you would like to discuss anything in particular on market design or anything else really in the energy space, please get in touch with us. Cornwall Insight will keep the conversation going uh, through our final Synet Zero forum, the other forums, our publications, upcoming papers, and elsewhere. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Tom. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. See you next time, and goodbye.